0: Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. He's is a narcissist and he's an egomaniac. The reality is absurd. He's non serious. He's a carnival act. Yeah, you know, I think it's pretty outrageous for him to be attacking anybody's appearance when he looks like he's got a squirrel sitting on his head. And that of course was Governor Bobby Jindal talking about our next guest, Bill Crystal with the Weekly Standard. Bill, what did you do to get the governor so mad?
1: I don't know. Here I am at the Houston Airport, <laughs> you know, just trying to do my do my job, flying around the country, cheering up Republicans and conservatives, but uh I guess I Donald don't think I do not,
0: Trump not Trump think it looks like you have a squirrel on your head. I just want that perfectly clear <laughs> no, on the record. I do not think that
1: that's really good of you. Yeah, but uh, you know, for some, someone like Bobby Jindal, Rick Perry, I'm here in Houston, Houston, Texas, right now. A lot of people I was at last night with a lot of people who know Rick Perry well, I think he was a heck of a good governor. They kind of were flabbergasted that Rick Perry is a— uh, the low 1% in the polls, Bobby Jindal's at 1% in the Republican polls. Neither will be on the main stage Wednesday night for the Republican debate. And there's Donald Trump, who is not exactly a lifelong battler in the conservative movement, isn't someone who governed a state and tried to implement conservative reforms. Whatever you think of Jindal and Perry, they've been fighting the fight for quite a while. And there comes Trump, 32%, and they're both at 1%.
0: Uh, and you're in the airport in Houston. You just gave a speech. What was, uh, I assume you chatted with uh, the folks who gathered there about the race. What do what they have to say about Donald Trump, about the GOP field in general?
1: I'd say this was not a pretty pro-Trump group. It was kind of upscale and people who, you know, are sort of people who have been involved in conservative politics and ideas for quite a while. So they're more inclined towards either the, some Ted Cruz fans here. Uh, because of Texas and, and, maybe, and because they're conservatives, and then fans of the other candidates, as you'd expect. But there was a surprising amount—not surprising—I say there was a, lar- a large amount of what we found. And we talked about this before. I uh, found in the Weekly Standard poll too. People who say I'm not for Trump, but you know what? I'm glad he's in the race, and he's shaking things up. And I'm sick of the Republican establishment, sick of the Republican congressional leadership, and disappointed even by the Republican campaigns. Uh, and even some of them, one of them joked, you know, if a pollster called me, I might say I was for Trump, uh, even if I don't really think I'm going to vote for him in the Texas primary in, in, in March, I think it is, or April. So I wonder how much of the Trump 32 percent is people who want to send a message and aren't going to vote for him. But I've been saying that for two months, and I think I may be wrong because these people are sticking with Trump.
0: Well, one reason they're sticking with Trump is they're waiting for somebody to give them another alternative. And uh, as you know, uh, Bill, I am not a big Donald Trump fan. In fact, I have signed a pledge that if Donald Trump is a nominee, I'll be voting for D's nuts, the 15-year-old kid who got his uh, who's re- registered to run for uh, president. But I, I, after watching the humiliation of the GOP yesterday over the Iran deal, I, I, watching the Senate not even have a vote. Even though it's meaningless, you know, the one thing they promised us, Bill, was, well, at least we'll we'll be able to debate the Iran deal. And now watching McConnell and Boehner not even be able to do that, who can I vote for for president that is a vote against McConnell and Boehner?
1: Well, look, that is the question, I mean, or at least it's the the sentiment that is leading to, I mean, this amazing national poll result, which people have sort of commented on, but they haven't really... I think, thought true. I mean, Trump at 32 percent, Carson at 19, that's 51 percent of the vote. For two candidates who've never held elective office, who never run for elective office, um, really astounding. I don't think we've ever quite had that situation in a Republican primary or actually in a Democratic primary in modern times either. So, look, I think the um, Corker-Cardin deal, which was a Senate deal, really, the House accepted it. Uh, Mitch McConnell accepted what the Senate Foreign Relations chairman, Bob Corker, wanted to do, which was allegedly going to guarantee a vote. And work out a situation where the Congress would really have a chance to deliberate. They instead worked out a situation where the Senate folded in about, you know, where Harry Reid just said, tough, uh, we've got 42 votes, we're not having a, a vote on final passage. Obviously, the cloture vote is, in effect, the final passage vote, and everyone took a commission on it. So you can still, I think it's going to be perfectly legitimate. I say this, argued this in the editorial this morning very legitimate for Republicans to say the Democrats are the party of the Iran deal. And what is amazing—I'll just add this for a second, and then I want to talk with the House for a minute—what's amazing is the Democratic senators, I quote them in the editorial, who say it's a bad deal. It's going to allow more money for terrorism. It's not going to stop the nuclear program. But we're voting for it. They've given ammunition to their opponents, who can quote them about how bad a deal it is. And then there are reasons for— Going along with it are, are really pitiful. So I think politically, this is around the Democrats' neck, despite the Republican leadership's, um, uh, you know, I don't know what exactly, uh, ineptness or just kind of complacency or just unwillingness to fight. Now, what happened in the House is interesting. There was a backbench vote led by Representatives Mike Pompeo uh, of Kansas um, and Pete Ross of Illinois, and it's going to end up down you know, three votes in the House. You can say it's not that different. You know, that it's still going to go. It's still going to. Uh, Get a majority, obviously, in public control of the house. It's not going to change the outcome. But they showed some spunk in the house. But that was a backbench rebellion against what Speaker Boehner exactly. intended, which was just to sign off on the Corker cardin process. Now they've at least got a vote saying Obama didn't comply with even the Corker cardin requirement that all documents be submitted uh, to Congress because of these side deals. So at least it highlights that issue a little bit, gives some openings in the future, I think, to say, well, what's happening with those side deals? What's the International Energy Agency doing? You know, so I think it was useful the backbench revolt in the house. But to get back to your fundamental point, you're absolutely right. You look at this and say, geez, is this really what the Republican Party is about? And we're about to then have a messy fight again on um, September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. And so far as I can tell, they have no strategy for reconciling differences among the Republicans on whether to fight on Planned Parenthood, whether to fight on other issues, uh, you know, to shut down the government or not. And that's going to be a mess as well.
0: Yeah. And all they see are messes. And, you know, Ted Cruz came out with a here is a, an approach we could take that could have an impact on the Iran deal. And I look, once again, people supporting Trump know he's very unlikely to be the nominee. He's not going to be president, okay. But they they, they want to see the fight go on. The same thing here with this Iran deal. I mean, I, I for one, would have cheered if uh, Senator McConnell had stood up and said, look, if you're going to treat a treaty like it's not really a treaty, if you're going to end-run the Constitution, then fine, we're suspending um uh, the filibuster on this, we're going to vote to over, get rid of the filibuster and we're doing it. And we're going to do exactly what Harry Reid would do if he were here and we're going to stand up and fight. I, I, even though once again, it would have led to a veto, et cetera, it would have shown that the Republicans, I, I, number one, understand they hold the high ground. Only 21% of America supports this crappy deal. It's our national security and we're going to fight for it. Like we mean it.
1: No, I, I really agree. I got an email yesterday from a friend who's a pretty establishment Republican-type, isn't into Tea Party, rabble-rousing much, and he asked why isn't McConnell suspending the filibuster. For this one vote, for something that's could affect a treaty which the administration refuses to submit as a treaty, this would be enough of an emergency to say on this vote, we'll, we'll override the usual rules. Uh, and you're right, I mean, that would have been dramatic. He would have gotten, I guess, criticized by some of the editorial writers for, oh, this is, you know, this is against the sort of uh, traditions of the Senate. But it would have shown he takes it seriously. And one senator proposed to McConnell, I know, okay, if they're going to filibuster let's make them filibuster. Let's go to the floor and make them speak for the next week. You know, but that's the way it would have to. In the right. old days, they would actually, if they're going to filibuster a bill, you've got to hold the floor. And that means having a senator speaking at all times. Make the Democrats get up there and talk about Iran for the next week, 24-7. And, you know, that, that requires Republicans to be there to... Protect, you know, so they can sure. prevent the adjournment of the of the Senate, and the Republican senators have their travel plans, and you know it's a, it's a weekend coming <laughs> up, and they have got to move on to other business. So of course, this was uh, roundly rejected uh, when my uh, when, when, when this fellow I know, the senator I know, started to propose this privately. So it's a very complacent or uh, cautious, timid. Uh, i'm afraid uh congressional republican party with then some rebels who sometimes can make a difference but often don't and um This is why, you're absolutely right, to point to them as one of the key reasons why Trump, Carson, and I think Carly Fiorina are doing well. One thing I would say, Carly Fiorina, this debate Wednesday could be very important for her. I've said, and people have thought this is ridiculous, that of the three outsider candidates, if I had to bet on one to actually get real votes in primaries and to go deep into the race, I would bet on Carly Fiorina. And she'll be on the big stage Wednesday night. She, She earned her way there by such a strong performance in the JV debate last time. Uh, it could be interesting if she becomes sort of the more responsible and respectable voice of opposition to Republican complacency and weakness.
0: Now, I agree. The challenge for Carla Fierro is because of the, her lack of experience uh, in, you know, in in politics, leading, having, you know, resume to point to she has to be perfect and that's a challenge she's walking a tightrope but if she can walk the tightrope i agree she can she can go far perhaps all the way now we got to go as okay so there's the fiasco the the uh, you know ter- terrible <laughs> wasteland that is the gop and then you, w- 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 is there any place where it's worse and the answer is yes hillary clinton's campaign headquarters they are watching her candidacy disappear out from e- underneath her feet
1: it's amazing, the new poll, which continues to show deterioration in her numbers. I mean, she's she's now, I think, in that poll, what is she at, 37%? Yes. Below 40? Yes. Against a socialist, 73-year-old socialist from Vermont, and a vice president of the United States who hasn't announced that he's running and who's got you know 1% the previous time he ran in Democratic primaries. Uh, I'm surprised I happened to run into a Democrat at the airport in Washington when I was flying down here to Houston, uh, and we were chatting, and I know him a little bit. And, I mean, privately and off the record, uh, they really now... Six months ago, they would have scoffed, and they did scoff at me when I said, I don't think Hillary's quite as inevitable as so all you guys think. I think there's a 1 in 2, 1 in 3 chance, 1 in 3, 1 in 4 chance. Uh, you know, someone else gets in and beats her, or she pulls out, and now they're talking about it. You know, people apparently are making phone calls. John Kerry's old people were saying, you know, gee, if Hillary continues to fade, uh, Gary ran a good race in 04, he's going to get the Nobel Peace Prize for this horrible Iran deal. Why doesn't he get in? I'm told that Mario Cuomo in New York is saying, you know, uh, not Mario Cuomo, as a." That's what's <laughs> So That's report, chose not to run 25 years ago. That's but right. his son, uh, Governor Cuomo, is, is is looking at it. Um, you know, Biden. I think is the big question. If Biden gets in, I think it sort of unlocks the door. What's interesting about Biden getting in? Biden getting in doesn't mean gee, it's Biden versus Hillary. Biden getting in means the Democratic establishment has lost confidence in Hillary and her inevitability, and then other people could get in as well.
0: I uh, m- my prayer has been from the beginning that she's just strong enough to win the nomination so that she can go on to lose and repudiate two bad pres- Democratic presidencies in a single uh, national vote. That is assuming the Republicans are smart enough to nominate somebody who can win. One last question for you. Uh if it when one year from now or less the Iranians are caught cheating on the deal or Uh, A Hezbollah, you know, funded attack kills, you know, innocent people in the Middle East. What is Hillary Clinton going to say about her support for this deal? What are the other Democrats going to say about their support for this deal? Because we know that horrific day is inevitable because we know what Iran is.
1: They must just be praying that that day doesn't happen until after November uh, of next year. And, you know, maybe they think the Iranians will want another Democratic president enough that they can restrain themselves, but they, they have, don't have much of a history of restraining themselves. The one thing Republicans have to do to prevent, to, to prepare for that eventuality, A, there's some actual legislative things they can do to make sure we're strong enough in our defense uh, posture, that the Israelis are strong enough to, to handle, you know, some of these challenges from Iran as much as possible, despite this terrible deal and all the money the Iranians are going to get. Republicans can't let up, though. They have to keep talking about this, because if this what if something happens and. September, October of next year, it's, Republicans can't suddenly pop up and say, hey, hey, remember us? We were against that deal. They need to be spending the next year explaining that this is unfortunately going to work out very badly. And it was entirely a deal that was, of course, imposed by a Democratic president and supported only, only by Democratic senators and representatives.
0: And what an irony that here we are on the 14th anniversary of the 9-11 attack. Can you imagine going back 14 years, Bill, and saying to people, you're that Hillary Clinton is going to be pushing a deal to give $100 billion to the terror regime of Iran and allowing them to legitimately become a nuclear power.
1: I mean, it is a sad day, and I I really do feel that. I mean, you and I were talking about this before we just came on the air. It's You know, from a partisan point of view, I think the Democrats will pay a price for this, and we can criticize the Republican leadership. But from an American point of view, I mean, uh, to to have this becoming of the policy of the nation, at least for the next 15 months or so, uh, on the anniversary of 9-11, this state, the world's leading state-sponsored terror, a regime that had actual ties to al-Qaeda that, that permitted some of the al-Qaeda terrorists who were involved in 9-11. That's a transit through Iran. It has subsequent ties with al-Qaeda. It has American blood on its hands in, in Iraq. Uh, it is, It's depressing, honestly.
0: Uh, well, and on that a chipper note, uh, we will uh, thank you and the squirrel on your head for joining us today, Bill Crystal, at the Houston airport. Hey, thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check WeeklyStandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.